All right, time for some movers that you missed. George Tillis is on it, looking at two companies. Uh, Jumia, George, let's go there first. Uh, as we've talked, e-commerce outside the U.S., this company often comes up in the conversation. What's the latest? Well, you know, we talked about Jumia. It's been actually quite some time, OJ. It's uh, it's certainly fallen out of favor this last uh, year to date or on a year-to-day basis, but it's been up about 30 or so percent. Uh, it actually continued uh, on top of a 20% increase yesterday with about a 10% continuation today. And I think it's part of this overall counter-trend rally that we're seeing in the market. But, uh, you know, I think it may be time to revisit the company uh, and some of the prospects that it may have going forward. But uh, for those who don't know, don't know Jumia, uh, it's effectively the Pan-African version of Amazon. I mean, it's a Moroccan-based uh, 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 company uh, that has operations in Germany, France, Portugal, but they actually service uh, the, the Pan-African Pan continent. The other thing about uh, the e-commerce component of Jumia's business is it also has a supply chain and logistics business, uh, transport business, as well as a, uh, a fintech business. So Jumia Pay is maybe the equivalent of Alipay for Alibaba. And I think that's also a pretty compelling, uh, you know, uh, value proposition for the company, perhaps going forward, considering that the Pan-African continent, which also includes the Middle East, by the way, is actually the most unbanked or underbanked uh, marketplace globally. Okay, George, um, thinking about uh, the potential here going forward for this, how much clarity is there on uh, the e-commerce penetration uh, you know, in their market versus here. I mean, it's a lot lower, uh, or is it? I mean, I, I don't know. It seems like we kind of got to what could have been and may turn out to be. I think the logic is strong for a peak in e-commerce penetration during COVID. I mean, uh, what other time period would there be even more sales happening right. online than the one where everything was closed? Yeah, I think, look, at the end of the day, I mean, you can't see the chart going way back, but uh, the stock did hit about $3 uh, the the May, the March of 2020 when COVID hit. And IPO on the previous year, around $19. So it's all over the map, there's no doubt. I mean, earlier this year, it was around, let's say $60, I think. Uh, I haven't looked that far back, but at the end of the day, it's still down about 68% on a year basis, despite the nice move the stock has made, about 30% over the last few days. One of the things you got to keep in mind is uh, okay, gross merchandise volume. Now, yesterday, the catalyst, alongside with the market, uh, which certainly held, the, the company did report some Black Friday numbers in which they actually showed about 30% year-over-year growth in gross merchandise volume. Now, that's uh, pretty impressive, but it's also more impressive for a company which last quarter in total only posted about 8.5% year-over-year growth. So. We're talking about single-digit revenue growth for a, for a company that has over a billion potential consumers uh, and potential, of course, uh, payment-based uh, peer-to-peer consumers, also peer-business-to-business, uh, -business, as well as uh, consumer-to-business-based payment uh, solutions eventually. But uh, I think what's happening with Jumia is, is they got a nice uh, bump because of the gross merchandise sales, because of the fact that the monthly average uh, purchase uh, users was up also on a year-over-year -year basis. Logistics business seemed very promising. But I, I think overall, the, the company's still structurally deficient in terms of its profitability profile. It's structurally unprofitable. I mean, the company lost uh, effectively about $250 million on $170 million in revenue last year. I mean, that's a over you know, or close to about 150% net loss relative to sales. But I think at the end of the day, there is potential here in the long run. I would say the long run because in the short term or near term, 
we may see the stock, you know, hit some quite aggressive numbers, maybe in the 20s. I mean, even Citron Research today came out, and I think they tweeted that they see a $22 uh, target between now and next earnings, which is in February. But overall, uh, this company does have promise, I would say, in the long run. But you have to think about some of the structural challenges and even business challenges when you're dealing with so many different cultures, languages, currencies, uh, and of course, regions of the world, which are very, very unique and dynamic, but that presents some challenges in terms of trying to, to, to not only penetrate the markets, but also to kind of get a feel for you know, taste and preferences on a, on a per-regional basis and achieve scalability, which the company unfortunately is still far from. Okay. All right, uh, so it seems like there's good potential, but man, the stock just awful over yeah. the last year. Yeah. I mean, lately, three days here, but I mean, it got blasted on the last earnings, George. How much confidence should we have in this as an investment right now? Yeah, well, I'll tell you why. So, you know, we, uh, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more trading, I, I suppose, in some of our segments, OJ, but you know, what I've noticed is is you can't force trades. And and essentially, a nice couple days move, we may even sit up see a, a bigger move tomorrow, I don't know. But if you're looking for a major trend reversal, which this company needs to demonstrate, you know, look at a 20-week moving average. It's a very simple concept, but if you see a, a, a close above the 20-week moving average, which which the company's stock is still below, uh, that generally, you know, bodes as a, as a guideline for a, a trend reversal. But it's not there yet, and it's probably not going to get there based on, you know, if the stock continues to, to go higher, probably around the 18 or $19 area. So, you know, that's just something to think about. But, you know, until that happens, you have to consider the downtrend too powerful uh, to, uh, to go against. And, and that's the, uh, it's the, uh, the truth, so to speak. I mean, the trends really dictate performance in a stock, and right now the downtrend is still, uh, is still, uh, still there. Yeah, okay. Uh, all right, George, you got one more for us. Very different. Uh, Pager duty, PD. Not so different in terms of the chart action, though. Recent uh, sell-off and then a bounce, except this one's happening right after yeah. earnings. What did they tell us? Yeah, this one's a little bit more interesting in the sense of the price action. Look, the stock was up around 11% today, but it's down about 11% year-to-date. So we still haven't made up, made up for that loss. But Pager Duty is an interesting software company. Uh, you know, it's considered essentially a central nervous system of IT operations. Uh, it's basically a managed, a modern sort of incident reporting uh, management software, as well as analytics, visibility, and event intelligence for uh, incidents that deal with uh, IT network problems. So the, the whole notion of pager duty is the on-call uh, aspect of that name, which effectively, uh, you know, is is one way to efficiently uh, reduce downtime on on down networks, but also to quickly using automated or, and machine learning and artificial intelligence to report any incidences that are that are that are dealt uh, in IT infrastructure and networks. So uh, it's actually an interesting company. It's a very unique software. I, I actually don't see, at the very least, again, I didn't have time to do as much research as maybe I, I, I could have. But as a publicly traded company, I don't see another company that has this very unique software. But at the end of the day, you have to you have to consider that it's a growth company, and, and it's been a it was a favorite, it was a darling earlier in the year. Uh, I believe Ark Invest at some point in time was actually the largest shareholder in mm -hmm. the stock, but at the end of the day, the stock did report, or the company did report earnings, which did demonstrate some promise. So top line sales came in ahead of expectations uh, at about 33% top line sales growth. Now that yeah. matches last quarter's 
year-over-year comparison. But bottom line loss, 26%. bigger than a year ago. Yes. They lost more yes. money, 26.3 million compared to a year ago, 20.6. How are they going the wrong direction? They did, yeah. So look, uh, without going into details, a lot of times, OJ, it's capital expenditures. It's also a lot of times due to shareholder or share count dilution. Uh, the company is raising some capital. It's spending quite a bit of money, and it's doing so when essentially it knows that maybe it can't really get a, get a good gauge of, of estimates and guidance for analysts. Now, overall, you know, the loss is still a, a loss. It's better than expected, but they did, and this is interesting, they did post some, uh, some cash flow metrics. Uh, and this is sort of on the, t on the headline. The operating cash flow came in positive at, at 2.7 million with uh, free cash flow higher at 1.8 million. Now, that in of itself is not necessarily uh, gonna change the overall trend of the stock, but it does help because it gives you an idea that the company itself is getting closer and closer towards uh, at the least break even and potentially profitability considering that the company had a free cash flow print last quarter that was negative about 14 million. Uh, the other thing is, and this is what you wanna look for, especially in, in growing software companies is revenue retention rate. They did publish about 126% revenue retention rate, which gives you an idea that they're keeping and there's not a lot of churn in, in their customers, but they're also not only maintaining, but able to charge more uh, per, on a, per customer basis. In other words, they're, they're, they're providing some horizontal value-added services that existing customers mm -hmm. are, are, are essentially paying for. And that's important to demonstrate some, some, uh, some reversals that are consistent for a company like this, which again, is still again unprofitable, despite the fact that it does have some pretty, pretty impressive top-line sales growth at 33%. Now, overall, it's still trading around 12 times trailing sales, uh, but that multiple has certainly compressed considerably in the last three quarters. Okay. All right, um, George. Nice details and uh, a very nuanced uh, look at uh, Pager Duty. Some good things, uh, some less than ideal things. Kind of similar situation for Jumia as well, uh, but um, a much worse chart and technical setup there. Uh, so we'll watch to see if this rally post earnings for Pager Duty can gather some steam. It does seem like even despite the bigger loss that uh, it's causing upward price momentum after the report. Price is king, so I guess then it was a good report. Right. All right. Thanks, Mr. Tillis. George. All right. I'm Salt Lake. Our